Hi, I'm Jake Cornell. I'm a comedian in New York City, and for the past 10 years, I've been living and breathing the restaurant industry. This is a show where I'll be talking to comedians, actors, bartenders, chefs, and restaurant owners about all things going out. We'll talk about restaurants, bars, staying in, drinking, not drinking, and whatever else we want. This is Going Out with Jake Cornell. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Going Out with Jake Cornell. I am obviously Jake Cornell, and with me is my friend and producer, Katie Brown. Hello. Wait, so you're fired up. You're, okay, wait, back to the conversation we were having. You <laughs> are upset. At, you're, writing about, you're, you're writing an op-ed about something you're angry about. Yes. Okay, what are you angry about? I am, you know, and, you know, I feel like I started, I'm like late to the party. I started watching The Real Housewives very late in the game. Okay. And kind of got to see in real time, like however many years later, the whole like Beth Bethany Frankel skinny girl empire rise and like all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it got me thinking about skinny margaritas, skinny cocktails. In general. I actually credit... Okay, so what's interesting is... Because you and I have... Because op- you watch Current Housewives, right? Yes. And did you go back and start from the beginning? I started from the beginning. Oh, okay. It See, was because, like a pandemic binge kind of situation. Because I... Oh, okay. Because I watched live when they were happening back right. in the day. And then I fell off. And now I right. dabble back in. Um, but... So I feel like actually... Do you watch all the franchises? No. I watch New York, Beverly Hills. Do you watch OC? No. Okay, because I actually think, so, like, obviously, Skinny Girl brand, like, that is Bethany. Like, that is very specifically Bethany. Mm -hmm. But I actually think, like, Skinny Margaritas, the person, I remember, like, the first encounter of that was in season two of Orange County. They brought in this girl. It was, like, two or three. They brought in this girl, Alexis. Like, she was, like, the new cast member. And her thing was that she was, like, thin and hot and very, like, just, like, she, I just remember her being like an intense energy and I remember like a scene where they were at a restaurant and she was like can I get a skinny margarita and the waiter was like what is that and then she just explained like it's just the tequila and the and the triple sack and then you just squeeze in a lime and it was like everyone was like oh, a diet cocktail and I feel like she I feel like OC is actually the OG skinny like they unleashed skinny margaritas on the world the thing is though like that is just like but right. that's a traditional margarita right That that's just a margarita like that's not even anything different than a regular margarita. These people think they like are really doing something. It's just like, yeah, you're asking for the regular specs of a margarita that if you were at a nice cocktail bar, that's what they would serve. Oh yeah, like anyway. when at Kindred, if someone ordered a skinny margarita, I did not, I rang in a margarita. I was like, what they want is, is what we serve. Like, right. it's like not, I understand like if you're at like a, like a, a dive bar that might use sour mix, like, okay. Being like, can you just squeeze a lime in it? But like, at, it. It's like, don't order a cocktail at a place that's not going to make a nice cocktail if that's what you... I don't know. I agree with what you're saying. There's just so many aspects of it. Like, there's the whole... There's the diet culture aspect that's, like, you know, painting skinny as something that we should want to achieve, which, like, (laughs) I disagree with entirely. Uh, Absolutely. And then also is just a stupid cocktail because, like... Well, like, it started with the skinny margarita, but I feel like I've seen other ones. Like, I saw a skinny mojito or whatever. I'm like, first of all, I don't think people even know what they're ordering when no. they're ordering a skinny cocktail like doesn't mean anything there's no like definition for what it is it's not like it's not like usda organic like it's not right. like skinny certified i mean it's like 
it's the same thing with, I guess, like, you know, the, the issues that, like, some of the wine industry has with the word natural. No, totally. I mean, it is like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it is like you're drinking. Like, you're not, it, it's, it, not it, a it's you're food. drinking, you're drinking, you're drinking alcohol. Nothing is skinny. Right. And, and that's okay. Like, things are allowed to be indulgent. It's like the branding of indulgent things to be not indulgent is like, it's it's like purely like psychological and it's not real. It's not based in like any science. Right. Like let's let our ce- like celebratory mo- moments like feel exciting and not like shameful. I don't know. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's like a completely valid valid pursuit. Like you can be like I am indulging and in having margaritas tonight because like I'm seeing a friend I haven't seen or honestly like I because, because I, want I want to, to drink go. margaritas tonight. Like whatever. And that's okay. Yeah, I think that that's like. It's also, like, what's funny is I think that, like, trying to, like, brand drinking in these, like, like healthy ways, like, natural wine, skinny cocktails, like, that actually is pushing you closer to a drinking problem than just, like, fully acknowledging what you're consuming and being, like, this is a treat. It isn't. Do you know what I mean? It's, like, what is, like, more unhealthy? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, like, that's actually a really good point. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, what would doctors say is more unhealthy? Drinking one Coke every day or drinking five Diet Cokes every day? A hundred percent. it's the, One Coke. Is yeah. healthier. Yeah. A hundred percent. But yeah. I think that there is, I I feel like, yes, there does are Diet Coke, wait, does Diet Coke outsell Coke? I'm assuming you, I'm like acting like you guys would know this. I feel like, <laughs> I does don't know. Diet Coke outsell Coke? Wait, Keith, can you literally Google that? I will Google that. Please Google it. What would you guess? I would guess that mo- more people get Diet Coke. If, okay, I'll like tell I, you this. I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't bet money that Diet Coke outsells Coke nationally in the northeast region. I was going to say, in, in like metropolitan cities for sure. I was just going to say like northeast, like New England plus New York. There's no way Coke outsells Diet Coke. There's literally no way. And no one in LA has ever had a, a Coke. Well, you Coke. can't even, it's not, you have to like smuggle it. They're not available there. Yeah. Yeah. In, in 2018, Diet Coke sales overtook Coke sales. Na- nationally. Nationally. Yeah. In 2018. Interesting. I would have said earlier, but I feel validated that it's still that time. <laughs> yeah. I I think that it's just one of those things where it's like all of these things, like you can't even blame the the people that are ordering them. Like I blame the menus that are adding whatever this language to them. I just think it's really harmful. Um, so that's what I'm angry about today. Um, what are you angry about today? Oh my God, what am I angry about today? I wasn't prepared for this question. I know. Um, what am I, I had to take, okay, well, first of all, I had to take the one train today, the worst train in the world, in New York City, in yes. my opinion. I loathe the one, I lived off of it for three years and I think I just have like vestigial trauma from when I lived off of it. Yeah. The one train is not for me. It's so local and I it's so crowded. I think a lot crowded. of New Yorkers have like one train that they really despise. Yeah, for me, it's the one. Yeah. And I think I'm allowed to hate a train. I think you're allowed to have a vitriolic relationship with a train that you lived off of. Yes. Like riding off a train that you didn't live off of is a little, tra- a little. I'm iffy on like that. You don't know it like that. You don't yeah, know Yeah, yeah, her. yeah. But I've put in my time on the one and we, I don't fuck with it. Yeah. Like you guys have met, you guys are familiar with one another and you've like, like taken the time to like form an opinion. I was running late here and I like looked at Google Maps and I was like, I really don't want to take the one. I could walk over and take like the C but it would make it would take longer and I'm already running late. And so like I morally do have to take the one because I'm I'm gonna be late either way. Like I don't wanna be super late. Mm-hmm. And I was like devastated about it. And then yeah, it sucked. Like and I at first I was like, this is fine, like you're being dramatic. And then like I'm like, I've been on this so it's like I've been on this train for an hour and I've moved four stops. Like, what is happening on this train? Yeah. So I think I'm angry about the one train. 
beverage wise, I'm not feeling that angry personally right now. I'm actually <laughs> feeling pretty, pretty good. You're feeling good about beverage. I'm feeling that's pretty good. good about, I'm feeling pretty, I don't have like any, no one's done anything that's like made me mad recently beverage wise. Like that's overall good. it's been, overall it's been good. All yeah. right. I feel like that's good. I feel like there are more there are more pressing things to be angry about than drinks, to be fair. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of, do you know what I'm seeing that's like blowing up on TikTok right now? I'm seeing a lot of like infusions happening. Are you noticing this? Yes. We have. People are blowing up about infusions. Yes. One of those like brands that sells those infusing bottles, like sent them to our team. Do they sell the infusions or just a bottle to just infuse like the them? bottle to infuse baby that's a mason jar just get a mason jar i know i know but they're like these special bottles that like screw off on the bottom so you can like put all the liquid in and then screw it off from the bottom i i don't really fully understand it but i yeah i'm gonna have to look at that yeah but i feel like infusions are getting very popular and i'm sort of let me just people i'm gonna tell you because i worked at a tequila bar where we did infusions i'm watching people on tiktok you don't need to put like four jalapenos in a bottle of tequila. Like it gets fucking spicy. Like I hate this. Is actually pisses me off. Okay, spicy tequila. So we're we're both having margarita things. This is actually pissing me off. I've stopped ordering, and this was years ago that I stopped. I stopped ordering spicy margaritas years ago. Mm-hmm. One because I already struggle with fresh citrus cocktails because heartburn. I do constantly feel like I'm being vanquished by the charmed ones, but. <laughs> That's just me at like a base state. So a fresh citrus cocktail is a challenge for me. I have to like sort of ration and then like the jalapeno doesn't help. But like, this is my point is like, they should taste like you should be, they should taste like jalapeno or they should taste like the pepper and be like a little spicy. I'm sorry. You're not enjoying a cocktail if you're, if it is like on fire burning. Burning Like I just don't think it should be that hot. It's like, and these people who are like, it's like the same version of like what we were talking about Keith where it's like, people who are drinking like the nattiest fucking wine that like hurts to drink and they're like this is so good i'm like no you've just like decided that this is the cool thing to do and so now you're you're like validating yourself by how intense you've gone with it and it's like i'm sorry like you should not be drinking a margarita that could be a challenge on fear factor like that's not <laughs> acceptable there, why are they so fucking hot there are so many foods like that food and drinks where i'm like i have this thing where i'm like i don't believe you that you actually like this thing yeah. Like, remember when everyone was eating Greek yogurt and acting like they fucking loved Greek yogurt? Wait, so this now we're in a fight because I fucking love Greek no, yogurt. No, you don't. Yes, no. I do. No, you don't. Nobody can like it. It tastes bad. No, like, but it's good. <laughs> it's good. Do you like kombucha? Yeah. You can't fuck off, Katie. You can't be like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I like both, but you cannot say that Greek yogurt is bad and kombucha is good. Kombucha is the most acquired taste in the world. Like, you have to really get yourself in the mindset to drink kombucha. Like, if you just sip it, you're like, whoo, this is a lot. <laughs> Do you really not like Greek yogurt? <laughs> Are you getting, like, yo play? <laughs> okay, here's here's the difference to me between, like, my hatred for Greek yogurt. Hatred. And, like, yeah, I hate it. Because yeah, I'm comparing it directly to, like... Yeah, maybe it is yo play, and first of all, there's no problem with that, and don't hate on that. To have a like a normal like full sugar vanilla flavored yogurt versus whatever the fuck Greek yogurt okay, is. This is you. I'm sorry, Katie. This is you taking a glass of Hood two percent milk and being like, "This is not as good as a milkshake." Like that's, <laughs> it's not a fair comparison. That's fair. Being like, "This isn't as good as yo play vanilla mousse." Like, yeah, no shit. Yeah, but, like, people were acting like they were, like, really excited to eat it every morning. Like, they're fucking overnight oats. Like, I truly had. Overnight I tr- oats. No, I, I had. 
<laughs> I had strawberries. I'm an asshole. I paid $13 for a carton of strawberries yesterday because they looked good. Wait, were they like those like fancy? Like, they were the fancy ones that everyone's berries? like freaking. No. Or the Harry's berries? No, they were like in like the the green like cardboard thing that like clearly is from some like farm in the Catskills. You know what I mean? And like, they're, they're like individually packaged like separately. Like. No, 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 no. This is very, this is not like corporate like fancy science strawberries. These are like uh, from nature's bounty in the green cardboard carton. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like at a farmer's market, yes, like yes, out yes, on a yes. table. Um, with like a little cardboard sign that says like they they name the it's like literally just put the name of the farm before any produce and I'm like well that's worth thirty five dollars yeah, do you know what I mean 100%. you could be like Franklin Farm Squash and I'm like oh I'd buy two do you know what I mean like and, and like, just and you could make up the name of the farm I don't care hundred percent and then you feel like it's gonna like cure everything in your body yeah exactly I'm still pissed off about the yogurt thing so you <laughs> do you, okay but here's my question do you eat yogurt a lot. See, okay, so this is the thing. You can't, like, make an influential statement about yogurt on a podcast (laughs) smearing an entire family of yogurt that I like and then reveal that you don't even fuck with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm mad. All right, all right, that's fair, that's fair. You know what it is, though? It's like, it's like... I feel like that was the food that everyone was talking about so much, being like, you have to try this. It's so fucking good. It's like, it's easy to ignore. It's kind of like- No, I hear what you're saying. It's easy to ignore a food that you just like don't like and like whatever, it's out there. But it's like, it's like the movie that everyone's talking about and you're like- Do you know what my version of this is that I really don't, it just doesn't, like I'm like, everyone needs to stop. Like, I'm sorry. I've never once in my life enjoyed a matcha. Oh, <laughs> Fuck. okay. I'm sorry. I it's, had like a green mustache when I came into work yesterday for my. I mean, I see you drinking matchas, and it's like. <laughs> I feel like now he's just picking something he like knows I really. No, like. I'm just saying. I'm just, <laughs> like, I, when you're saying like something that like suddenly everyone likes, and I'm like, here's the thing. I would not blanket statement say like. I would not blanket. I would not blanket statement say like matcha tastes bad or like nobody likes matcha. But I'm like, I have a pretty open palate. I'm not a picky person. Mm-hmm. When I drink matcha, I'm like, this is like an acquired taste. I don't believe the two million people I see drinking matcha daily in New York City have acquired the taste. I'm thinking there are more people that are just being like, I'm drinking the matcha to say I'm drinking the matcha. Also, I'm like, people are like, it's a little less caffeinated than I'm coffee. I'm like, that's not a selling point. Like, we're all drinking coffee to get high. Yeah, literally. Cold brew. I mean, I will be the first to say that, like, I only will drink matcha if they put so much like whatever the fuck like sweetening agent. Okay, so now we found the theme. We found the theme with you. I just like everything that tastes like dessert. Is that so bad? Like, are you gonna hate on me for that? No, I'm not hating on you at all. (laughs) That's actually me gaslighting. I've been yelling at Katie for 20 minutes and I'm like, I'm not hating on you. I've truly been yelling at her for everything. I love that you're sharing. I'm so supportive. (laughs) Do you drink spicy margarita still? Yes. Do you agree that they're oftentimes way too spicy? And I'm not, let's be clear, I'm not like a weakling. Like, I like spicy shit. Yeah, I like spicy stuff. I think that it's really because, again, like, spicy margaritas could be so many different things. They could be putting, like, fresh jalapenos in it, or they could literally just, like, be taking the lid off of a bottle of Cholula and just absolutely going ham. I don't personally like um, hot sauce in my drinks, but, like, if it has, like, fresh peppers in it sure to me that's a completely different taste yeah so yeah i agree when they put the hot sauce in it first of all it's way too like just straight up spice and it doesn't complement the tequila yeah i've never had a hot sauce margarita i've had a lot of like hot sauce beer like michelada moments and that i'm pro i'm very pro i actually did a whole michelada hot sauce tasting last week we got like all these hot sauces that sounds hard on the tummy 
Okay, we started, first of all, at like noon. It was like the first thing I ate all day. Oh, it was God. awful. That's, yeah, that doesn't sound good. We were all like crying by the end. Like, <laughs> this was great, you guys. <laughs> Wait, who was the winner? Um, actually, the article came out today, so I can reveal. It was a brand that I hadn't heard of, but it was. it's called like the Louisiana, it's like Louisiana hot sauce brand. Is that Crystal or is it Louisiana? There's two. Okay. There was two Louisiana Louisiana hot sauce brands, and they both made in the top, like, five. They were really, both really good. The Crystal one was up there, but the so one— So the vinegar-based hot sauces are the winners for you. Yes, that makes sense. Because the other ones that are, like, thick and viscous, like, just did not mix with the beer. Yeah. Like, all those, like, really fancy, like, artisan brands, like, that d- they just don't—they don't do it for me. Yeah. Hot sauces, like— I'm a Cholula girl. I you do, are? Yeah, it's it's Cholula for me. Have you ever had the Tabasco green jalapeno one? Yeah, and it's it's fine. It's fine, but, like, <laughs> I'm Cholula. I'm okay. Cholula, and then I'm this Vermont hot sauce called, like, like, I don't know what, I don't remember the brand name is. I'll plug it on another episode, but they, it's, like, a maple sriracha. Okay, and I'm, that's fancy. And it's, like, really good. There's, like, a green maple sriracha moment, and I put that on a lot of shit. But of the mass-produced hot sauces... I do air on like a, the like Cholula, Valentina, Tapatio, like family yeah, yeah, of hot yeah. sauces. Those are where I sort of land, but I'm not. Vermont put- will really put maple in anything, huh? Oh, it's, it's like annoying, but I'm into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I'm not hating on it. I'm just like, wow, in, in hot sauce. Okay, wait. thought about that. Before, wait, and you need to hear this too, before we introduce the episode. If you're speaking of maple, <laughs> there's like a newish bakery in Brooklyn on Vanderbilt called Patty Ann's. It's like a Southern comfort restaurant that during the day is a bakery. They have a maple cruller that is like a sexual experience. Like it is so good. exactly my taste in desserts. Like I love like just like sweet, 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 but like plain. It's like maple-y and it's like, I don't know, there's something so amazing about it because it's like glazed. So it's like fried and then glazed and the glaze like locks in the moisture. So it's like, crunchy and crispy on the outside and then like dense and soft on the inside but not oily it's like perfect Keith just like wiped the drool yeah off his chin. <laughs> he's like ruining the soundboard with his drool okay on that note that's so gross we have an amazing episode for you um I was so so excited to talk to this guest um her recipes are so unique and interesting. You've probably seen her on Bon Appetit or all over Instagram, or maybe you've been to one of her pop-ups with Doshi, her food company. Um, she is such a great guest. This is such a fun episode. Please enjoy me going out with Susan Kim. And it sounds great. Hi. Hi, Jake. Hi, Susan. It's so nice to meet you digitally. I know. I, I guess we're really meeting, meeting like right now via these Zoom boxes. Yes, it's really... It's nice. Um, thank you so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm stoked. Um, I actually listened to the episode with Suchin Pak, my I, Korean sister. An, she doesn't know it yet. An icon. I when she said yes, I screamed. <laughs> Literally, I was like, "Oh my god, he's getting like some actual icons." Yeah, Suchin. That is one of my favorite episodes we've done. She's was so nice, and also, just, I mean, like, I you probably heard me on the episode, but like, I just like talking about that time was like I was dying. Oh my gosh! And also, like that T-shirt idea with the, the Moomba. Oh my god! No, she needs really to do good. that. Yeah, she needs to do that. I think it would be like I would wear like I would wear all of them. I would buy all of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, same, same. Gorge. Yes. Have we started recording? Okay, perfect. Can we turn my ears down just to scotch? Thank you so much. Um, so up a little. 
Sorry, that's perfect. <laughs> um, cool. So we're gonna just kind of like free flow. It's really conversational. You've listened to it, so you know if we like. And but it's also we edit everything. So if you like are like, oh, I don't want to talk about that, or like, can we cut what I just said, like, or whatever, like, it's totally fine. Oh, okay. But sure. I just like people to know that in case they don't feel like everything's just being recorded in their surveillance. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I actually love the free flowing part of it because I was like, oh, I guess this can go in whatever direction. You know what 100%. I mean? One hundred percent. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I um. I had, I wanted you on the show because I came across you from your some of the videos I've seen you in online with Allison Roman with BA and I was I just like loved your vibe and I was like oh and I also was really excited by the food you were making like I really Aww. the halloumi and rice cake dish um those are like two of my favorite foods so I was like Aww. I kind of I'm dying to make it I haven't yet but it's like top of my list and Please do, I was, yes. And I was like, oh, I need her on the show. I just want to hear everything about, like, her relationship to restaurants, how she goes out. Like, I just want to hear it all. Oh, well, that's incredibly flattering. <laughs> and um, it's still, a li- it's not, like, self-deprecating, but it's still a little bit of a trip for me when people are like, yeah, they want to, like, hear your thoughts and stuff, you know? Uh, because I my background is, like, working in restaurants or just kind of, you know, I think that that background is in, incredibly important for work yeah. ethic, but also, you know, in terms of like visibility and what we're in right now with like social and all of that, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, black mirror shit, but totally. Um, no. <laughs> and also with that halloumi dish, please do it. And I'd love to see what you do with it because um, it's really fun. And I, I think it's, it just sort of encapsulates like kind of me in a lot of ways. Like it has, a lot of Korean ingredients, but just like, you know, how we grow up in California and now in New York and all the mm-hmm. influences that you get. So, and also it has brown butter, so you can't go wrong, you know? Yeah, no, that's, it, it has some of my favorite things in it. And I, that was what you just said is like, I really feel like it came through. And when I was watching you in the videos, because I was like, oh, she so clearly works in restaurants because she's so like, or has, and has worked in restaurants because you have that energy of like, yeah, like, I don't know. Fuck it. Try that. Like it doesn't, you know, that kind of like that loose creative energy. I feel like that is so you kind of have to bring to restaurants because like things are going down, you know, wild at every time. Like, you know, the rules, you know, the structures, you know, like how things work, but also like if something happens, like, yeah, try it. I don't know. Like, let's see how, what happens. And that kind of fun play. Totally. And I think you picked that up because you obviously are very well versed in that sort of like, it's like gang signs. Like I'm throwing signs <laughs> and you're like picking it up. Right. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, Oh, I see you, you see me type of thing. And I think there was a little bit of, I mean, that's just who I am and I'm not really going to change, but I think in terms of like recipes, some people don't feel that comfortable with like free flowing because they might just not be that comfortable in the kitchen. And that's totally understandable. So like, you know, in terms of like actual measurements and actual like specific ingredients, I think some people do want to have those things. And because, you know, um, in restaurants, you can kind of play around with it. And if it doesn't work, then you can just troubleshoot it in other ways. But I think that's the way that people become really much more intuitive in cooking. Yeah. So it's like, it's not like, you know, like, so let's say like the recipe calls for, red wine vinegar, but you don't have it, but you have maybe lemon juice or sherry or right. I mean, it's just about understanding like the balance of acid in that particular exactly. dish that somebody's asking for. Right. So, yeah. And I also understood, I think that, you know, when you're starting cooking professionally, you think a chef is just someone that cooks really well. And mm-hmm. 
that's so not, I mean, that's such a, a, of course, the foundation, but it has a lot to do with, can you troubleshoot all kinds of shit going down? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So not only specific to like dishes and ingredients, but like service and, and staff and labor. And it's like about at about fixing sauces. It's about like how many situations you've been in and you can fix those things. So that's, I, that's what's so interesting to me too. Yeah. You know? I mean, I feel like that's that I, that really brings me back to a lot of my server days where whenever chefs were like presenting to us new menu items or specials, but especially like menu items, things I was going to be dealing with on a regular basis. I was immediately approaching that from like, what are going to be the issues with this dish in terms of service? Like, can yeah. it have, can it have this allergen removed? Are people going to want it this way? Like are people, if it, is it a salad that's served on whole leaves? Are people going to want it chopped? Like kind of thinking yeah. about all these different like ways that are going to affect service beforehand because I, yeah. the best chefs I feel are thinking about their food in that way of like making it approachable to the not uh, approachable is the wrong word, making it functional within the restaurant that you're working in yeah, yeah. and also delicious and, and creative and fulfilling in that way. But it also has to function, right? You know what I mean? It's like, totally. it has to make sense. I mean, and it can't only make sense to you too. And like, you know, from working in restaurants that it's an incredibly collaborative thing. And yeah. like, and like that role as a front of the house person, if you will, is like the person that's like relaying that info, relaying that and, and also selling it and in, and in a poetic way. So it has to make sense, you know? 100%. So yeah, I think that, I think that word is actually like good, like approachable or accessibility. It's like, yes, like this stuff, I'm all about having it sort of demystified too. You know, I think th- there is, you know, smoke and mirrors and the lore and the entertainment of restaurants, especially in New York. But I also love like transparency and accessibility to like all kinds of information. You know? Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. So I'm so curious. Can you walk me through basically, like, I would just love to like, how did you get into restaurants? Where have you been in restaurants? Like, and like, just walk me through the story. Yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways it's atypical or maybe it's not. I think there's a lot of ways that people find themselves in the kitchen, but yeah. I, you know, I, I went to undergrad, like just like a regular college, not culinary school and started like waiting tables, hosting. And I just really loved the culture of restaurants. Where were you? I was in LA. So I went to UCLA and then, so I like, I was working at, uh, this is like literally like TBT, but like Fred Eric had a restaurant called, um, Vita, like back in the day. Oh, I feel like Um, I remember that. Yeah, like on Hillhurst. I remember I was like literally like 19 or something like that with my first host job. But and then, um, yeah, I was just like I was waiting tables at this restaurant um, in Venice called Ashe. Do you remember Ashe? A-X-E. My reference point for L.A. restaurants, especially in that time, is like where celebrities were being photographed, (laughs) like to be perfectly honest. Oh, Oh, really? Well, because I'm East Coast. I grew up in Vermont. So like that was how my like... um, that was yeah. like my reference points for a while. So I feel like Vito would maybe want to, maybe had been one of the places, but like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, Ashe was interesting. Cause it did have these, like, it was kind of like one of those, like in the know places where you'd be like, Oh, that's Harvey Keitel or like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Cause it was kind of near the studios in Venice. I think I was just like super naive, but that restaurant was actually very influential to me because uh, the owner was, she had like a, a background in painting or studio art and she just, the whole place conceptually in terms of like what's on the menu and aesthetically design wise, um, like 
you can see her point of view, but it didn't necessarily come from someone that was like classically trained. And, you know, and as you work in restaurants, as you very well know, you start to befriend everybody or you, you start to find your tribe. And I remember being really uh, friendly and close with uh, Samir, who was a chef then. And I would ask him about getting in the kitchen and he was like, no, you don't want to do that. Like you're in college. Like this, this is not the life for you. And yeah, you know, just sort of like, he's like, it's like, it's like the hard life. And so was I somewhat discouraged? Maybe, uh, you know, and I don't think it was incredibly encouraged by my parents either, but nor did I really express explicitly express my desires at that point. I think I was trying to also figure it out. I was like, okay, you're getting this like English degree. Like what, you know, what does it mean? And honestly, you know, that like, especially undergrad, like, I don't think it really means anything. I think, no, it's totally a joke. Yeah, I think college is great that it helps some people evolve into versions of their, you know, humanity and adulthood and figure themselves out. But it's certainly not the only way, you know? No, I feel like I look back on that time in my life and I'm like, I guess it was good that I had like somewhat of like a structure and a little bit of a bridge between like living in my parents' house and like living on my own as an adult, especially like I went to one of those colleges. I, I feel like UCLA might be like this where it's like, I started out in the dorms and then by like junior and senior year, I had my own apartment and was living in a city in like a town. Yeah. And like, I, it yeah, really yeah. was like a bridge for me. And totally. it's like, I feel like that's the most useful thing about undergrad, unless you're trying to be like a doctor or something. And that's why I'm like, it should, I think undergrad's a good thing. It should just at max cost like $5,000. Like yeah, it's just so I mean, expensive. Exactly. Or just like, I mean, look, if we're dreaming out loud, yeah, it should be part of like socialized, absolutely, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, obviously like, it's, it's a privilege to do it, even to be in debt for it. But that's sort of common knowledge that like yeah. people are like, yeah. But, you know, I mean, tangentially, I think that might change. Like I have a niece and nephew and like, you know, like maybe when it's their air, like they're so little right now, but like maybe college isn't going to be the only route. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it I, already I, isn't, to be honest. Like I feel not, like I... I feel like, especially now, like if my, like if one of my younger siblings or like if one of my like, like cousins or something was like, oh yeah, like I think I want to do, like I think I want to like just move to a city and like work in a restaurant for a little bit and like figure it out. I'd be like, yeah, honestly, God bless. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Really job bless. And like, or like do the gap year or whatever that notion is, go abroad. And, you know, and I know that so many of us in service, restaurant industry um also fantasize about like if everyone worked a year of service somewhere yeah what it would do and how it, it would impact society but anyway all to say yes i loved restaurants and so after college i kind of continued to work in restaurants but i started to get into like different aspects of it like i started to learn like operations you know oh, cool like running numbers yeah. you know like more like what I call pooter work, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, so that was interesting and just to see that. And then, um, but I just really felt like there was, there was some sort of thing that I'm like, I gotta try this. I gotta try the cooking thing, you know? Yeah. So um, when I, when I finally did, sort, I mean, kind of in that cinematic way or when people say they find like, it was literally like a huge sigh of relief where I was like, I'm home. Like, and that's not not because I was like embraced. Like I was shot on, I was hazed. I was horrible. I didn't know shit. Like, you know, I, but there was something to me and maybe there is masochism too, but that I was like, there was a compulsion to continue. 
You no, know? and that's the thing that you can't like deny or like kind of no. recreate. It's like you either find it or you don't. Were you like, I'm curious, like before you had that moment where like the weight lifted and you were like, this is it. Were you like cooking a lot at home and like already cooking in your life or did it kind of, was it in this career discovery that it happened? Oh yeah. Well, I think one, I really do believe that like part of being a good cook is being a good eater. And I've always been a good eater. Yeah, <laughs> That's so fucking true. Right. So, and also like, you know, I grew up pretty working class, but I had a mom that was like an awesome home cook, you know? And so like, and, and like, yeah, sure. Like there were people that were interested in Korean food, but maybe not so much like the way it is now. But, but I also knew back then that I'm like, I still know this food's the shit. You know what I mean? When, even if it's like internal within your family. Right. Um, Because I, I had that immigrant life too, where like people would come to your house and they'd be like, what, what is this? Like they're opening the freezer and stuff right. like that, where we, you know, but, but at the same time, I was like, this food is really good. And so, yeah, I've always just really enjoyed eating. And honestly, like, this is a part of my uh, thing on my website for uh, my bio, but I immigrated here when I was seven, but most of my memories prior um, in Korea all have to do with food. It really yeah. does. I mean, if I really stretched, I, of course I can think about like, oh yeah, like kindergarten or whatever, but. You know, like if I say Korea, that's, that's like what comes to mind is like your food memories. Oh yeah, I remember yeah. like the local barbecue spot with like the pork belly and just like, yeah, some home meals and like all of that. So I think the food has always been an integral part. And I think in some ways, like, you know how people talk about like emotional eating and like whatever that's bad. I think eating in general and food is emotional, you know? It's intimate. It's absolutely like intimate and like culturally intimate. And like, yeah, I totally agree. There's an emotion. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be necessarily bad. Like I think when we sometimes talk about emotional eating, we think about it like within like diet culture, you know, and like like, abuse. But like, I think that it's like you said, it's incredibly intimate. And so, um, and the relationship with it, Absolutely. And so, yes, I think food has always played a part. And then I think now connecting the dots, like my mom, like really recently, like she, she like found this journal, like in high school, I was like cutting out like recipes, like Jamie Oliver recipes and like stuff like that. So like I was always into it and I was definitely like, you know, like that whole era of food network with like Ina and like, Gianna. You know, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Where they were like gods, you know. People were obsessed. Yeah, but people were obsessed, and like the Food Network was like canon for a really long time. You it, know. Yeah, it was also it was like people. It was like. I feel like Food Network back then was the way that people are about like housewives now where it's like, oh, you're a Food Network girly. Like, and you like, you watch them all. It's very that like before we had like reality shows like that. I feel like that was kind of like people were fucking down on the Food Network. Oh my God. And they were like stars. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. And like, also I think it kind of played this similar role that like magazines have played for me in terms of like escapism from like your, whatever your life is. You know, I think when we're like growing up or certain parts of our youth or adolescent, like we're envisioning something else, right. Something yeah, bigger. Totally. And maybe not everybody. I certainly did. Right. Same. So like, yeah. So like in fashion magazines, you're like envisioning this life or like, you're like, what is this? Where is this? And then, so like, you know, when I would watch Ina, I'd be like, oh my God, what is this place? The Hamptons. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What is this like palatial place that she's just like wearing this like crisp, crisp white button down and like forging in her own garden. Like, so it also played this like fantasy role and, and somewhat like, I guess aspirational as a, as a kid, but yeah, I mean, 
So I, I definitely did like to cook, but I wouldn't say that I was like so obsessed with it where I was like, I really love going to restaurants in yeah. college. And I mean, with like the limited budget, but I, yeah, I, and I, I definitely fucked around a little bit in the kitchen, but I wasn't like an avid home cook. Totally. You know what I mean? And yeah, I feel yeah. like the, I almost, I think that sometimes I feel like what your, that background of being a restaurant lover maybe sets you up better to be a chef than being an avid home cook because there's such a difference in like, I feel like I, some of the chefs I would work with that were, I feel like we're not as suited for restaurants, just like temperamentally. I was like, you, you're really struggling with the fact that this isn't like slow and intimate and like, you're like having someone in your home. I feel like, and you're like frustrated by the fact that it's like fast and balls to the wall. And it's kind of like, there's a lot of people and there's a, there is a little bit of a transaction to it. And I think that is like the struggle with it. But I think if you already, if you love restaurants specifically and you love kind of like the game of that and you're there to like fucking play ball, you're a little more apt to like be successful. Yeah. I mean, there is definitely like an adrenaline thing. You know this. A hundred percent. There is peaks and valleys that are extreme. Like when the crew is clicking, it's like a dance and the flow that happens where like every dish you're putting up feels good. And like service is just on point. Tables are turning. You're like, Holy shit, this is magic. When it's going down, it's just the darkest. Yeah, it's the darkest. It's, it's hopeless. It's the darkest. You don't know how to get out of it. You know in some ways you will, but but I think that sort of uh, extreme personality is not for everybody. Totally. But certainly, you know, you and I have probably been around people that thrive off of that. And I think that I was also really into that, you know, just like, ooh, the highs and lows. You know, yeah, it's kind I of mean- early. Totally. As I like, I like, especially early on, I, I mean, I fucking loved the like culture of like getting my ass absolutely handed to me and then like going out with my coworkers after to like drink it off. Like I loved that for a while. And then at some point I was like, this is not sustainable for me to like (laughs) develop my life and like grow as a person. So I need to like make some shifts. But like that is, there is like that addictive thing of like, we all went through this together and now we're like recovering from it and we're going to come back tomorrow and see how it goes. Yeah. And, and I mean, and from what I gather from what I've listened to is that you have, have you recently transitioned out of restaurants and you're just pursuing comedy full time? Yeah. So I, I've, I've been doing comedy in New York for eight, coming up on eight years and Whoa. I was doing, I was a bartender for 10 years. And then as of like six months ago, I was able to just do comedy full time. Hell yeah. Mazel for that. Because Thank that's you. amazing. Thank but you. I also- feel very lucky. I mean, amazing. But don't you think that your time in restaurants has informed so much of your life and the way I mean, that you move through it right now? Too? It's, it's actually like crazy. Yeah, it's it is. It is like there's not a single part of my life had I not decided when I was 18 to for the thing to be like doing to make money be bartending. Had yeah. I not decided that when I was 18, I don't I my life would be in every single way different. And there's no question about it. Like. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that's how I feel too. I think it's such a metaphor and a microcosm of like, just, it informs you and it informs how you want to evolve as a human. It it informs like my fucking politics. Like it taught me about like everything. Like it, it, it's how I learned about like classism, like, like honestly, racism, anything, like anything. Immigration rights. Yes. Like that's what I'm saying. Like fucking all of it. That is, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have learned about those things in other places, but like the place where I learned about all of it in real fucking time, like not like reading about it in a classroom, like was in a restaurant every time. Yeah. And I think that's why it's powerful. Like in academia or in classrooms, you can understand it like theoretically, but restaurants, 
are it's an it's the ultimate example of application in terms of what we're talking about the big tenets you know and everything that we're we're focused on right now too in terms of like misogyny racism classism like you're saying illegal status legal undocumented all of it is there and and you also see who's actually making your food you know yeah and you know and it's interesting too like now i have friends that are uh restaurant owners themselves or have continued in that way. And so like the allocation of tips is changing too. It's I don't totally know shifting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, yeah. So like, yeah, we yeah, had the house is getting more, I think now, which I think they should. Absolutely. And I like, think that's wonderful. And I think like we had, you know, Bill Clark, right? Oh, oh yes, yes. And not, not closely, but yes, I absolutely Bill was on a few weeks ago and we like, we talked about this for like hours, like for so like, just like the, the, the shifting of all of that and how it's like, like he was on, he did a pop-up in the Cape and they couldn't staff it because the housing, like the housing crisis, there aren't people living on the Cape to work in the restaurants. It's just rich people. So there's no one to work in the restaurants now. And I was like, damn, that's fucked. But like people, it, restaurants are such a microcosm into all of it. Oh, no, totally. I mean, I think even in big places, like I remember when I was still living in San Francisco, like the bar shuts down at midnight. Yeah. Right. So like if you are working service and you're getting off after that, then that causes some problems. You know, you can't can't be using Lyft and Uber all the time, you know? So like, yeah, I mean, New York's obviously different because the trains run all the time and the city is a little bit more alive in that way. But like, yeah, like wait, who the bar shuts down. Wait, I thought you meant the bar, like the kit, the bar of the restaurant, the like the transit in oh, San Fran bar. shuts down yeah, at midnight. Very rapid transit. So that that transit, which is the main way that people no, living totally. in the Bay come into the city and vice versa, it shuts down at midnight. I believe so. Yo, and fuck the thing that. Is, I worked in Berkeley and I lived in this in San Francisco, so I absolutely knew. I remember like being like. I got to get to this train or I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it. You know what I mean? And so I I remember being in that and I didn't, and I felt like, you know, a lot of people just don't get out in time, you know? So it's like the whole question of what Bill raised too. It's like, who can afford to live in these cities, you know, or like Cape Cod or Martha's Vineyard or whatever, you know? But yeah, I had a friend that was telling me like, you know, I don't know what logistically in legality the the thing is around like the allocation and distribution of tips, but now that she has decided to um, completely and just evenly spread out the tips amongst the back of the house and front of the house, and so everyone was making over thirty dollars an hour, right? Amazing. That included like porter and dishwashers, right? And she was getting a little bit of clapback from some front of the house that were like really used to making like you know, more like cash, more money. Cash yeah. huge, like every night. Right. Yeah. And she, she didn't want to like get into it, but she's just like, why is a guy that like is washing the dishes? Why should he or she or they get any less than like what you do? You 100%. Know? It's hard because as someone who worked front of house the whole time, I, and I've always, and I have always, and like, I should have, I always felt uncomfortable about the fact that I knew I was making a lot more than back of house. And I was like yeah. young and didn't, I was like, that's not a problem. I really have the capability to deal with right now. But like, yeah. I was, like, like, yeah. I was aware of it, especially when I was working, especially my, when I first started working in New York and I was working at like high end fancy restaurants where yeah. it was where like that pay gap is fucking massive. Like it's bananas, and, right? Yeah. Bananas pay gap. And also like everyone was working really hard, but watching how hard like chefs in fine dining restaurant and cooks in fine dining restaurants are working. I mean, like you're making a third of what I make, like literally one third was so crazy. 
And then it is like, so it's like, obviously that's absolutely unacceptable. Then I, when it comes to be like, okay, but then the answer is the front of house people making less. I understand that that's hard if you already, like if you have a job to take a pay cut, you know totally. what I mean? And so it's like, I don't know what the solution is that is like going to make everyone happy. I do agree that the pay, having that much of a pay gap between the two is absolutely flawed. I think the answer, the answer that I like lean to initially is like, just restructuring how restaurants work. Like restaurants, I think need to run leaner. Like, you know, I think smaller, leaner restaurants are more functional in that way. Like, you know what I mean? I, like I learned over my time picking restaurants to work at. Cause also like, because I was doing, because I was restaurants, even though I loved it was like a means to support me as a comedian. Mm-hmm. I was very much looking at like the bottom line of like ratio of like dollars to hours. Like how much money can I make at the le- spending the least amount of time in this restaurant? Exactly. Right. So what's my, uh, yeah. Per and hour reach. Yeah. Exactly. And the, a smaller restaurant in my experience is going to make you more money every single time, every single time, mm-hmm. a small restaurant that is busy and popular where you like, because if you work in a busy restaurant where it's like, okay, we need five servers on the floor and we need three bussers, everyone yeah. there deserves to make a livable wage. And that's like, yeah. totally valid. If you're working in yeah. a small two person restaurant where like a bartender and a server can like rock it out and like, yeah. you don't need a busser because frankly, there's not like room in the restaurant for a third body to be working. Yeah. That's yeah. like where the money's going to be happening. And yeah. I felt like that and was such a more sustainable. Theory too, like it's going to be a smaller line in the kitchen too, right? It, yeah, and exactly. Have, yeah. And you have a much more personable relationship it's like, it's not just like back of the house versus front of the house. It's just kind of like, it's like more like, you know, each other and 100%. you know that they're in that corny way. It's like, it's like that one team more than ever. Yeah. I mean, know? when I worked at Kindred, Kindred was the last restaurant I worked at before I stopped doing restaurants, which is in the East village. And okay. it would be when we started like on like some of the, on like not, I think it would be two servers, a bartender and uh, two cooks on like a Friday, Saturday, but like on a Sunday, Monday, it was like one bartender, one server, one person in the kitchen, like three people running a restaurant. And we were, we rocked it. Like we were good at it. Like, and it ran and I was like, Oh, I'll never, I was like, if I ever have to work in a different restaurant, I, I want to work in like small, lean, lean places. Cause I just think it's more sustainable and there's more room for everyone to get paid. Well, you know? Yeah, totally. And like, I just, I, yeah, and that's my ideal too. And if I, I think if I ever ventured into like having a space, like, and it's not just me, so many of my friends and I talk about like that intimate place, you know, like yeah. it's no more than 30 people, right? No, and yeah. you get to touch every plate, you know, and all of that, like that's sort of the dream and like how it translates into payroll and sustainable living. You know, I'm not sure, but I think this is a larger discussion about actual, like, the industry itself, you know? And I think, you know, I came to New York because I was helping um, open this Danish restaurant called Agern, which is no longer there, but it was this crazy huge project in Grand Central. Yeah, I remember when that was happening. Yeah, and, um, like, one of the guys, Klaus Meyer, he was one of the original founders of Noma. He had this huge vision and it was huge in a lot of the respects and uh, the size of it. And it probably is like the antithesis of what we're talking about in terms of the intimate restaurant. But, but I bring this up because he, they eliminated gratuity uh-huh. and they were just trying to do like livable wage for everybody. They were also trying to explore four day work weeks. Cause that's what was happening in Denmark. And I think, you know, ultimately I think the ideas were there. I think it's going to take a long time for us to figure out what makes sense. Cause I also remember like when the Tarlow restaurants 
uh, got rid of tips too. Yeah. And like going to like Romans and being like, okay, I know this fish is $46 because we're already adding 20% to this. Yeah. But even me being in the industry, like the psychology was different. Yeah. It is. I I went through the same thing. Like I went through the same thing. Like when, um, the, a restaurant I used to work at, they went, they went, um, tipless after I left and I went in and I was like, Oh damn, like this pasta that is, I know for a fact the ingredients are pasta. Like it was a cacio e pepe. It was like oh, 20, honey. like 29 fucking dollars for like a cacio e pepe. I was like, right, and right, it's like, right. I, I'm, com- and I'm, yeah, I'm completely supportive of like the reason it is this, but it is like trying to be fiscally responsible looking at being like, damn, I'm going to spend $30 on like grown up mac and cheese it does feel intense. But it's like, I think that is, I think it's necessary. The changes are necessary because I do think, I think that like the, the way it's been done in the past, like, especially what we were talking about earlier, like the way the money worked, especially front of house making so much more. Like, I do think that front of house workers, we need to, mm, I might, people might get mad at me for saying this, but it's like, (laughs) I do think we kind of need to accept and swallow the pill that like our front of house workers making really, really good money was happening on the backs of back of house not. Like that is part of what it was. You know what I mean? Like we were making really good money to an extent on labor exploitation. We're selling food that is made by someone who is not getting paid enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. And I think when for me, because I did front of the house too, and I know what it's like to just like, you know, walk out that night with like 300 plus cash or whatever it is, right? And then, and then you start in the kitchen, you're like, okay, $13 an hour, which wasn't even like, like some people I know made less than that. Also in the kitchen, you put in ghost hours back then, which is like hours that are not on the clock, but you're working, you know, all that stuff. But like the way that it was kind of explained to me in some respects was like, they were like, well, this is a career path for the back mostly, you know, like the front always had you know, they were saying like they were pursuing other things, but I also think there's a couple things to that point, which is like, one, I think the uh, working service in front of the house could absolutely be a career. And it is for a lot of people in New York. Yeah. And in Europe and like, and also just like, we, I don't think we should like put like any shame in that, you know, if you want to own that and that's your thing and you want to buy a house and you want to support a family, I think that should be doable, whether that's like front or back, you know, but like you're saying, like, this is a time right now where we're exploring. And I think these conversations are so important and I really hope there are a series of catalysts for change, but I think we're at this time where it's, it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people. hundred percent. It's going to be very uncomfortable. I think. Yeah. 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 We went into it for the, with the labor stuff. We really did. We're talking labor. Okay. So to pivot from that, because I feel like we really did just dig in deep. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear about like, I want to hear about what you love, like going out wise. Like what do you love? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure the other people have talked about it too, because like this, you know, we're still like, I mean, second year, right. This is like March will be like literally two years. Um, and it's so interesting how things kind of quieted down and shut down, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but, and it was interesting for me because this March will also mark six years in New York, nice. you know, for me. And, um, and we, we know like part of the allure and just the magic of New York is going to these restaurants, yes. whatever your version is, whether that's like. I don't know, like Pesti or like Servos. Like you have your restaurants, I think, and you want to go to them. And yeah, it was, it was interesting in terms of just how we all had to shift. But my version of rest, uh, my version of going out 
since college and forever has just always been to dine. Yeah. Like I was like never, I mean, that's not true. I, I definitely loved going to like, like raves and stuff and like drug culture for sure. But yeah. like, I was never like a bar person. Like uh, for me, like dining itself was the ideal going out. Like yeah. that was, that was, that was, Oh, I've always loved restaurants, Yeah, you know? So yeah. And, and in New York, I think, the magic of New York is not necessarily what's on the plate. And especially if coming from California in that cliche way, like you're just like, holy shit. It's like the ingredients there are amazing because their, their seasonality is different. Right? Totally. But New York is about everything else. The sum of all parts, you know, like, you no know one said that yet. And that's so interesting. Like that, because like in California, it can be more about the food on the plate, but here there is, it is about like the sum being greater than it, the, what is it? What is the term? The sum being greater something being greater than the sum of its parts. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I think both we're thinking the same thing and we both don't know what yeah, it neither is. Neither <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, meaning like I've been going back to California just to like visit family and also like chosen family. The Bay area for mm-hmm. me is a lot of that. And like, and I do freak out when I'm at the farmer's market and I do see amazing things that I'm like, holy shit, blah, blah, blah. There's not a part of me that's really moved by what's going on outside. That's not to dismiss. I mean, there's so much creative stuff, but New York still really moves me. And that's really about the people. And that's really about the energy. Right. So like, I remember like before I lived in New York or maybe it was just right after I moved, but I I remember being at Estella and it just like, it taking forever to get a seat. And then we finally get a seat and like, you're in this corner table squished. The, The restaurant is packed and and of course, I may I'm, I may have been projecting, but it seemed like every single person in there, as a guest, as an employee, or whatever, wanted to be there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. The lighting, the music, the food, everything is just like ooh, you know. And that kind of energy, it to me is not really comparable anywhere else. No, there's nothing like I've never thought about it. I've never like thought about it. Sp- consciously, but it is like, I do know what you're talking about of that thing when you walk in and it's kind of the thing of like, oh, this is the spot. Everyone wants to be here right now. Everyone in this room is down to be here. Like this, everyone's locked in. That is such like a magical moment. Yeah. And then also like, it's just, I mean, it's weird. And then you, you kind of get into this mode, especially during the pandemic where you're like, maybe not going as much out as much. And then you'll go to like Thai diner and you're like, everyone's here. All the 25 year olds are here yep. and the city is still alive, you know? Yes. So like, yeah, I mean, to me, I've always loved dining and I have always loved going out, but I'm also someone that's like, I definitely vibe off other people's energy, but I'm also someone that needs a little bit of like restorative. Like I can be a homebody. I, my idea is like one day on one day off. I mean, yeah. are you a true extrovert? I would say, well, it's interesting that you asked that. So like, I normally would say that I've always said I'm an extrovert, but then I like in the pandemic when my boyfriend started to be working, started to be work from home and I was not, I started to realize how much alone time my schedule had naturally always had because like I worked in restaurants and lived with people who worked nine to fives or worked day shifts. And so like, I just naturally have always had a lot of alone time in my adult life. So then in the pandemic, I was like, Oh wow, I actually need no one to talk to me for six fucking hours. Like, so I used to always, I was a true extrovert and I'd say largely I am an extrovert, but I do now know that I do need like, you need some alone time. Like I, I live in Bed-Stuy and I'm where I'm, 
it, the studio is in Nomad. I walked here today. And that's like my alone time. Is oh, like I walk. Really? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's 60 degrees out. I'm walking. Like I know. It is a balmy 60 degrees today. Like if it's nice out and I don't have anything to do that day, I'm walking. I And I love it. Like it's heaven to me. Oh, yes. And that's another thing too, tangentially, because I'm the queen of tangential thinking, is that like walking here is so different than like walking in uh, obviously Los Angeles. It's just like, no, totally. and that's because it has everything to do with like what's around you and ultimately people, right? Yeah. It's, so and it's just condensed. Here, yeah. Like you walking across a bridge, it's like, it's not like you're alone or it's just, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and that's that really what I, that's what, the, that was what I missed the most during the pandemic is like, I didn't understand my alone time is alone time among others. So it's being on the subway. It's walking in the city. It's even yeah. going to like a restaurant by myself and having like lunch at a table by myself. Like those that are my, solo lunch. La, a, a solo lunch is heaven. Um, yeah. But those are my alone times. And I think that's part yeah. of what I love so much about New York is like, it's a city to be alone amongst the people in a lot in a really nice way. Totally. And I think also like this, this term is so overused, but it's like a form of self-care to me. Oh, anyway. absolutely. You know? So, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I feel you on that too. I think, I think it's been a, like a very clarifying um, time for a lot of people in terms of like what they need. Like for me, I live alone. I'm also used to having alone time, but I also, I realize sometimes your alone time is with, multiple screens and um a podcast on and like i'm like are you okay truly being alone and yeah. in terms of like distractions right so it really tested me on that you know and so uh but i mean yeah just going back i the dining thing is what like still just captures my heart here and i'm kind of one of those people like yeah i like love to hear about new restaurants like recently i went to bonnie's and it was clearly like the place to be. It's a running bit. Oh my God, I'm dying. It's a running Wait, bit. What? It's just a running bit on the show. Like I think the past six guests have been like, so you have to go to Bond in this way that like, I'm losing my mind. But I actually, I think I'm going next week. I think I'm officially oh, going next yeah, week. Yeah, I mean. I think I, you're literally like, it's insane. <laughs> Every guest is like, no, so I went to Bonnie's. Oh, it's so alive. It's <laughs> like when you go to a restaurant like that, you're like, New York. And it's yeah. Brooklyn, obviously, you know. No, I know. The bar for them has been set so high for me and I know they're going to crush it and I'm so I'm so excited. Oh my god. And you could tell like the chef is like so uh he's so talented, but like it's like you know that problem of like when it's too busy, which is a great problem quote unquote no, to totally. have. Yeah, they're just crushing, 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 crushing. But um, that's yeah, why I yeah, don't know if I'm going. Ne- that's why I don't know if I'm going next week because I'm currently in a situation of like a friend has a friend who might be able to get us in. Like we're like in we're in negotiations to get dinner at Bonnie's next week because they're like booked out. <laughs> I well, did you read Adam Platt's piece? That's what he said. He's like, I couldn't get it. I knew a friend of a friend who had reservations from way back. I'm like, this is Adam Platt. Yeah, you it's know? kind of fucking psycho. Yeah. And honestly, he was there that night, which was hilarious. That's so um, funny. But, um, yeah, so, like, obviously, like, there's a whole thing of, like, New York, like, kind of also being seen, if you will, and, and of course, but it's it's still exciting to me, but I kind of return to the same places over and over. Like, my one place that I went to uh, during the pandemic, which is, it was a joke, but it's true, it's, like, I really only went to Thai diner, and, like... <laughs> Honestly, because one during the winter, they have figured out the heating outdoor system. Did That's you go, so Jake? No, I've actually been DMing with Thai Diner to go, but I haven't gone yet. Okay, well, they figured it out. They set up this incredible outdoor seating with 
um, a heating wall panel that uh. ran through your source of light over your uh, table was also your source of heat. Like they had the heat thing locked down. And honestly, if you really wanted to just like split hairs, you're like, how much of this is really insulation? It doesn't matter. It was all the psychology of like, you're technically outdoors. 100%. And the food always hits. And, um, and it's fun. Like the staff is really fun despite the crazy circumstances. So I always love going there and what yeah, should I order I, when I go to Thai diner? What, what should I order? Oh, I mean, you really can't go wrong. The, I think for me, what's kind of a sleeper thing is there is, uh, so they have obviously like amazing Thai dishes, but they also true state of the ethos of a diner. Yeah. So they're like smash burger fire. Oh, and it, has, like, okay. it has nothing to do with like any sort of like Thai ingredients or anything. It's just like a great burger. You know what I mean? I love that. Yeah, and and their disco fries, which is with um, a little bit of like spice and curry and everything, but it's on these like crinkle fries. Like it's just so fun, you know. Yeah, so, no, that sounds. I mean, because I do, I do just fucking love a diner, and a play on a diner is always going to make me happy. Yeah, yeah, and and I think they're just they're they're really doing it right, and I don't know them personally, but like it seems like their history of like uncle boons and just like, which I have been to and was so good. they've had, like, I feel like it makes so much sense at Thai diner, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I love that place. I love like, I love servos and I love all the restaurants that they have. I feel like they're, they're really leading with kindness and I feel like they're, there, I, I, it does seem like they're changing the industry in a lot of ways. I actually totally yeah. agree. And if I were to have to go back to restaurants and the group I left Ruffian and Kindred, who I love, if they like didn't have a spot for me, the first place I'd call would be like hearts and the fly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's also in your neighborhood, right? Well, that's the thing is I live close. I would, I would work at servos, but I could walk to hearts of the fly. So that would be a little more desirable for me. But I, I know. Fucking I, love I think that still keeps getting more and more like fun places to eat. What like, neighborhood are you in? Also- you're, you're in Park Slope? Yeah, which, I mean, I, I know this is kind of tongue-in-cheek because I shouldn't, like, ex- ex- exploit this term, but I call it a food desert in a lot of ways. You know People what I mean? People say like, that. People do say that. There's actually a good place that opened over in Gowanus, not too far from you, that I went to the other day. Oh, what is it? Sweet Talk. It's Hawaiian. Oh, okay. I'm writing it down. It's on, I, love, it, I love Hawaii and it, Hawaiian. It's yeah. over on 3rd Ave by um, the Bell House. So it's oh, like, yeah, and I love going to go see comedy at the Bell House. Yeah, yeah, okay, wait, so perfect night. Literally, go get dinner at Sweet Talk and walk over to the Bell House. Really great, co- like, really great cocktails, really great, like, um, they have, like, a bunch of fun sodas, and then really, yeah. the food is so good. They So, so good. Oh, good. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. It's like, I, yeah, I mean, I love, like, talking to other people about, like, where they have been. I mean, that's sort of yeah. energy. Yeah, and I was like, I mean? it was, I love, I could sense it. The restaurant wasn't busy when I was there, and I was like, it used to be an Italian restaurant, and I had been there, like, years ago, and I, like, I was, like, sitting there and I, to the server. I was like, this used to be an Italian spot, right? And she was like, yeah, we're actually part of a big Italian restaurant group, but the executive chef is Hawaiian and has been wanting Whoa. to open a Hawaiian spot forever, and they finally let him have his Hawaiian spot, and this is it. And I felt like you could tell that this, he was like, I finally got my Hawaiian spot. Like you could tell oh. that like the food, ha- I really felt like there was like an excitement to the menu yeah. and the ethos and the server seemed excited. And like, I really just loved the vibe. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll definitely have to check it out. I, I, and I love the Hawaiian food and I know I haven't been there, but it has so much influence from so many different cultures. You know? Yeah. It feels it, it, it reminds me of Viet- um, Vietnamese food in that way where you see like the French influence. like you can see like yeah. kind of, yeah. it, it's like, Someone once talked about the how like the banh mi is like colonial history in a sandwich. Like I feel like oh, that you totally see that a lot is. in Hawaiian food as well. 
Yeah. Okay. So I can't wait to check that out. I mean, yeah, I mean, Park Slope's interesting in that way. Like, I feel like, you know, the biggest news that I heard recently was that a Taim opened here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, bless Taim, but like. Right. And then we're like, a variety coffee open here. Right. And so, so I mean, it's like, it's LOL, but also like, I know like people that live here are obviously a great privilege. Like, I feel like it's my thing is like, I'm kind of locked into this like rent controlled apartment that. Yeah. You got to stay there then. Yeah. But also, like, you know what? I'm so grateful for it because during the pandemic, the proximity to the park and all of that, like, game changing. Yeah, and, like, just, like, when we're talking about walks, like, sometimes when I'm spiraling or I'm just, like, going literally shit stir-crazy, like, if you step outside and just even not even do an extensive walk, but if you just walk, like, around the block, like, yeah, you feel different. And it's nice being in, I, that's, I kind of like living in South Brooklyn, or I, I guess it's not South Brooklyn, it's, like, Central Brooklyn, but, like, yeah. bedside Park Soap, it's, like, it's a nice, I find, like, the energy for a walk like that is a nice balance of, like, it's not a ghost town, but it's not, like, slamming Lower East Side, like, energy, so you can kind of just, like, go on a walk, you know? Yeah, totally. I think, I don't know, for you, have you ever lived in Manhattan? I lived, yes, but way up. I lived on, my first three years in New York, I was on 156th. Oh, you were? Okay. So I was up there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I still have the fantasy of, like, living in, like, East Village, but... I feel like I don't. But I also worked in the East Village for... Through the pandemic and was just there all the time. So I feel like I... Not that that's living there, but I was just, like, constantly in the East Village. And I loved it, but I think it would have been great when I was, like, 23. But for me now, it's, like, I do enjoy that, like... I live in a, like a really beautiful historic area that's like protected. Oh. It's a bunch of brownstones and like that story has so much amazing architecture. Yeah. yeah, and I think I'm just like a sucker for that. I just like the quiet. Not I, uh, quiet's not the right word. I like that it's like really beautiful neighborhoods and then like really solid bars and restaurants, but not like oh, a ton sure. of them. Just like I would say for how like how few there are in the area, their their general quality is like quite high. Yeah, bed size, and so it's just like it. I don't know how, but it's become such like a curated, amazing list of places. Yeah, you know? it is kind and of also historically like mom and pop places, and just like people that have like come up there. There's also a rich history of that, and absolutely. Like, yeah, so it's like a really nice mix. It's not like one thing or the other. Yeah, I think for me, the East Village thing is like, I'm like, what would it be like to just have a Sunrise and H Mart right by me? Well, that's the <laughs> thing. That's actually wait. That's literally the reason that I haven't made the dish yet is because I ha- you're the rice cake kalumi dishes because I haven't had a chance to go to an H Mart and buy the rice cakes. Oh my god, I know. Okay, the th- I, this isn't that close to you, but there is this like mom and pop kind of grocery store on Flatbush called DNA that's kind of closer to me, and it's Korean owned, and they have rice cakes. If you wanted to on go Flatbush, there. like going up to Grand Army. Yeah. Oh, I'll literally go there maybe today. Because yeah, I really want to make the dish. And their rice cakes are fire. They're like, I, they get it from a small batch like in Queens and they bag it themselves. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay, wait, yeah. I'm excited because I've been wanting to make this. I've been, I've watched the video of you making that dish. Like, I'm not joking, Susan, like four times. I've, oh every my time gosh, I'm, like, I'm, I, I feel, I, I don't know how that makes me feel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, but make it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's got all the textures that you want. It's like also that's, just like crispy and like, you know, it's squishy. It's just, yeah, yeah. yeah and it, also that sauce. Yeah, it just looks so good. Um, yeah. What are your Brooklyn spots? Like, what are your Brooklyn restaurants? 
Oh gosh. I mean, I do like your neighborhood spots. I like hearts a lot. You know? So good. I know when they reopen fully, like, uh, it just, it, yeah, it felt really good. And also like Leah, I don't know. Every time I see her, I don't know her too well, but she just is so warm and you could yeah. just feel her energy, you know? So yeah, I would definitely say that, but like, I, there's also a place in Bedstuy, and I think they opened one actually on Park Slope called Chicken Feastin. Have you been there? This is wait, Hearts and Sir, that that group opened a fourth place. No, no, this is not oh, related to them. At I was all. like, this who, is why wasn't I called? Okay, it's Chicken Feasting. I'm gonna text you if that's a, it, it. There's definitely feast in the name, and it's you just go to get like a Greek salad. Um, um, a rice pudding that might literally be cozy shack. Um, Ooh, okay. It, it's, it's in your neighborhood. It's like, it's really fun, you know? And it's just like, yeah, it's not like, it's not like trendy or anything, but I mean, no, that's, that's, what, makes it cool, that's what makes it cool. That sounds really dope. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I love, I, I still love like getting a diner burger. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, have you I, tried oh, seven street burger yet? I'm sorry. Have you tried Seventh Street Burger in the East Village? No, me. What is it? So it's on it's on Seventh and First. It's in the old Caracas space. If you remember, okay. if you ever went to Caracas, and it's, I they're like somewhere between a burger and a slider. They're like not oh. tiny, but they're not full sized. And I yeah. think they're six bucks a pop, and wow. they're unfucking real. They're unreal. Yeah, yeah. I okay. So this is. I mean. This whole sesh is worth it for me to get these like hot tips. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, cause I, you know, everyone has their different like frame of wherever they're getting their info totally. from. Wait, yeah. more in your neighborhood. I recently ate something that I am saying is one of the best things I've eaten in a restaurant in the past several years, which what? was at Popina. Have you ever been to Popina? Oh no, but that's Southern Italian and Southern American, right? Correct. Yeah. They had this dish that I, I cannot express to you how much I loved it. It, was a bruschetta in brodo and it oh. was a fat fucking piece of brush like toasted like falone or whatever yeah ricotta like maybe like arugula and a shit ton of prosciutto sitting in seafood broth yeah so it was like salty and cheesy and bready and then soaked in like seafood broth it was like Ooh. the most delicious thing i've ever eaten <laughs> And then, and then the bread is soggy, but still kind of has that. But the crust was thick enough and toasted. Yeah. The, the, the crust of it was thick enough and toasted enough that it would get, the center would get a little squishy, but there was still a crunch and a bite to it. And you, oh yeah. Yeah. That's what like, I think my friend Emil calls like sog crispy gone soggy or something. It's like that wonderful texture. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I've been actually meaning to check that place out. I haven't, but yeah. I mean, in the neighborhood also, I have to shout out Insa. I think that's been a, been a staple. You know, it's a, it's, it's, first of all, my friend Young is the chef and owner there. And he's like, he's just, I feel like it's just gelled more and more his cooking. And it's a place where like, you can absolutely just go and get like a stew and some panchan and rice, but like, you can definitely have an outing, like going out with friends and go sing in the karaoke rooms afterwards, do the barbecue oh. thing. And it's like really, really solid, you know? Yeah, that sounds phenomenal. I haven't, I've been, I've heard a lot of good things about Insta, but that's another one I haven't checked out. Yeah. Well, have you gone to Haas, Haas Doc Biet? No. Okay. So I feel like that's my new favorite restaurant and it's kind of tongue in cheek because yes, they're in a physical space, but I think it's only for three months, which I think for me also in terms of Doshi, that's an interesting model, which is like, 
these like long-term quote-unquote pop-up Pop spaces yeah. and residencies you know because you could really kind of hone in on some service and put some stuff literally put some stuff down um and you know just kind of try out all these things but they are my friend sadie may and anthony ha and they're just doing some extraordinary vietnamese food oh wait where is that where so they're in the they're okay they're in chinatown on four cents i believe and they're in the old bepka space which was a fall place okay i'll send you the thing but please it's so good it's so good and it's kind of the vibe that you and i've been talking about that we love it's a it's tiny it's like a sardine can Fuck yeah. everyone's in there you know it's just like the staffing is what you want in terms of like there's nothing you can't have any extra bodies you know yeah that's that's my dream yeah and the food is just like it's one of those things that like i don't really care what they make it's, it's just like you're like i'll just eat what they what yeah, you're like, I'm good. Just give it, hand it to me. Yeah, exactly. You know when you trust someone so much? It's the best. Wait, yeah. so you just mentioned Doshi. I would love to, like, can you talk about what, like, Doshi, t- like, tell the listeners about it. I would want to hear yeah. about it. I mean, Doshi is um, my company, I guess, if you will, that is in, it's it's still a, a roving mobile pop-up. Um, it was launched during the pandemic because, again, it took sort of the noise of New York to kind of calm down for me to be like, I got to launch this. It's, yeah. it's been in my head for a minute, meaning a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in New York, when you live also like that freelance lifestyle, you're just like, I got to take this job. I got to take this job. And then like, you're also going out, blah, blah, blah. So it honestly, the gift of this time is that it's made me kind of more like laser focused on certain things. So the concept Doshi um, has come from Toshiraks, which are sort of like these packed Korean lunch meals um, you see them in train stations or even like 7-Elevens. And when my parents relocated to Korea about like three or four years ago and I started to visit them, it really kind of, it really uh, made me think about how transportable room temperature food can actually be kind of delicious yeah. and visually appealing and all the, all the things like that. And also like TBT back in the day, I was uh, Sylvan's intern, Sylvan, who has an incredible restaurant in San Francisco called Rintaro. And before that, he did these amazing bentos too. And he was also the one that showed me like, yes, like this food can be extremely pleasing. And um, so I started thinking about that. And I think life is so much about timing because during the pandemic, not only did it give me the space in my head, but just like also the space to launch it. We were also in the time of takeaway food. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? And and also, not only that, not only that as a business model, but it seemed like people were also more receptive to trying different things and new people, you know? Well, yeah, because they'd done nothing but look at themselves and their own goddamn food for six months. They were like, yeah, they're anything. like, I can't. Yeah, like whatever. Every, all the different phases, sourdough, yeah. beans, whatever. And I, and I was all in there. But, uh, and, and because... Just going back to what we've been talking about as a whole, like, you know, like the community, the industry, I think is, if we may essentialize, they're just the most generous people. Obviously, there's examples of more and less, but it was just like people that are like, come into my space. I'm not open these days anymore. Actually, service has been cut this much or actually want to incorporate new people. So like it all formed in that way of just like people opening up their spaces in their kitchens or allowing it, uh, allowing me to uh, pop up there. And, and so it just, it was a, it was 
I mean, it's not, it is, it's still very much current, but I'm just moved by the people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's so special. Yeah. yeah. And so I started doing these Toshi docs, which I still very much do, but also it's continued in a way or evolved in a way that I'm doing like a lot of like a la carte fun dinner bar, you know, food. Nice. That's like where the, like the rice cakes and halloumi came in. Um, I think I did that first at Hunky Dory at, at um, Rust and Power. Hunky Dory is no longer, but it, wait, you know, just, wait, no one told me Hunky Dory's gone. I'm yeah. dev- oh, that fucking sucks. That place was great. I know. And Claire is like, I mean, she's a bad bitch. Like she's also thinking about just policy and overall industry stuff, but yeah. Cause they were HI and it, that was a place that was, that had no tips that I felt like was the vibes were really good. People were like the people who worked there seemed to be down. Like, it makes sense, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, she's, she's got her hands in a lot of things and I think no, we'll sure. hear vision in a, anyway, but yeah, I just, so it keeps, it keeps, as I've been saying the word evolving and that's, what's exciting about it. You're like never done and yeah. you're never, your ass is always handed to you. And every single thing about this is like, I'm, I'm learning constantly, mm-hmm. you know? And like, and the pop-up model is that like, it is amazing each time and you do learn so much and you learn how you want to continue. You also learn like what you don't want to do. You learn how other kitchens work, how other people work. Yeah. And then there's also benefits to doing like long-term things too. Like I just did at kit, which is, um, you know, you get to, again, like what, like, I think so for someone that cooks, like when you do a dish over and over, it does get better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like the third week you're like, we should put some sherry vinegar on that as a finish. Like things, things that that don't necessarily come to when you do one day of something, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. I totally agree. I feel like that, like when my boyfriend and I get like really into a recipe and we start doing it, we're like, Oh wait, what if we added this? What if we added that? And then like, by the end, it's like the recipe is actually like quite different, but we've like made it the perfect version of it. What it is for us. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, Jake, I really hope you'll come out because I would love to feed you and your boyfriend. Oh, my God. Wait, when is the next Doshi? Oh, you know what? I'm not sure because I just came back from doing something in the Bay Area. So okay, I'm, so. I'm planning some things. But you'll, I'm telling you'll, you'll, you'll the second you announce it, I'm there. OK, I can't wait. I can't wait um, to see you IRL, of course. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. It's like it, it just I know that there are signs for me to keep going and it's really exciting. And like the unpredictability of it also can be very much anxiety inducing. But I have to remember, like anxiety is also like it's like point of view, like this is like everything I've wanted and it can be very much exciting. No. Yeah. And it's like that thing. There's that, like, if you're not a little scared, you're doing something wrong. It's like, you got to kind of like be excited and a little nervous about it. But like that kind of means you're like on the right track. Yeah. I mean, do you feel that way about comedy? Are you, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Is it stand up and improv or what, what's your thing? I wasn't, I did improv a lot before the pandemic and now I'm mostly a stand up. And then I like, you know, am writing and auditioning and kind of doing it all. Like, so I mean, that's scary as fuck, right? It, it, I mean, I don't find like auditioning itself scary, but I guess the only scary part is now that I don't, it's just a different lifestyle now with like not having a restaurant job where it's kind of like I get a job and I do it. And then it's like, okay, now I have this amount of money until I find the next thing. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm living like gig to gig, but in like big, in a bigger way. And like, I really love the gigs and I'm excited about it. And like all the opportunities are cool, but it's just, it's been an adjustment over the past six months of like, it's just a different lifestyle of like not having a paycheck every week, having to structure my own time is also, I mean, you probably get it when you went freelance. It's like, 
I feel like, yeah, you and I are in very similar positions. Like we're stepping into something like bigger and expansive in our lives. Yes. But this is a part where we have to kind of figure it out. And it's like discomfort. Yeah. And also like forms of stability in terms of like money and all of that. Like we're like, oh, what we, you know, all it's like it's being resourceful and scrappy in a whole different way. And time structure and time, all of that is it, it is hard for me. I yeah. struggle with it too. I definitely struggle with like feeling like I definitely struggle with feeling like, yeah, like I'll catch myself being like, oh, you need to get out of the house. I, the winter was hard because it was really easy to stay inside all day and be like, okay, well, it's 2 p.m. Yeah. and you haven't done anything. Now that it's getting warmer, yeah. I think it'll be a little bit better because I can just be like, go outside, like go the fuck outside. You know what I mean? And that'll kind of get yeah. me going for the day. And I yeah. think that'll be better. I mean, I, I, I just like feel that so hard. And also like just comedy to me, I, I think there's nothing more just like, I, I think stand-up comedy is the truth. I good, really do. In, in a, when it's good, it is for sure. I know, but like, seriously, I, I, I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but like, that's just like, it's as like vulnerable as you can be. It's like you on a mic on a stage. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, it is like a wild, but I honestly think to like tie it all together, like it does restaurants kind of prep you for it. Like being like, kind of like, I got to take control of this room. I got to take control of these people. I got to like read what they're into and what they're not into. Um, Reading the room. It's huge. So I do think it all prepares you for the next thing, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, for me, I've always seen this like cohesiveness with like comedy and food. I really do. I think personality wise, the folks that are drawn to it. Well, whatever, like whatever, I think what it is, is like whatever that thing is that like is exciting to you, what you were just talking about, like food being emotional and food being really intimate. Like that's the same thing as humor. Like the way you feel when you feed someone is the way you feel when you make someone laugh. Like at least in my experience, you know what I mean? It's like, it's taking care of someone in this way. And I think that those are super connected. Well, and would you say that there's also somewhat of a compulsion that you cannot not do it? Like the way that I feel about cooking? Yeah, no, for sure. I can't. Yes. I feel a compulsion to want to make people laugh and feel good and be happy. Like, and that, that is like absolutely how I feel. Like, that's just my knee jerk reaction, sometimes to a fault. And I think that's something that like, again, like, sure, maybe this is woo-woo, but there is, I think, something very like purposeful and calling about that. And that's like such a beautiful thing that we get to tap into. Like, we are not choosing these um, lives to have an easy route. No, absolutely not. And it was the same thing. I'm realizing now, like, I, I think like the first time I was on a stage and I started to make people laugh, that was like my version of what you were talking about of like the weight lifted where it's like, this isn't going to be an easy path, but like, I do at least just now know that this is it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also like, that's going to evolve in some way too, but there's going to be something at the core, like cooking and feeding people and eating is always going to be at the center for me. And, but who knows what it's going to also evolve into, you know, but like, yeah, that that, like we cannot not do it. Like that's the whole thing. Like it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Susan, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I would talk to you for another two hours if we could. I know. Wait, has it been? Oh my God, it's been over an hour. It's been over an hour. We really did it. But um, I just want to say thank you so much. And I'm going to text you when I get to go to Bonnie's. Please go to Sweet Talk and Popina and tell me your thoughts. And I'm going to see you at Doshi. And if you ever want to go to Thai Diner, let me know because I do really want to check it out. 
I definitely, I think we should continue this uh, IRL. Yes, I think we've mic. only scratched the surface. I very and much I feel agree. like the energy that you and I have, we could really wax poetic about a lot of things for a long time. I'm so, so, so down. All right, so I will see you soon. I'm going to DM you right after this, and we're going to yes. get it going. And, and congratulations on everything. And con- you and too. Great. Bye, Katie. Bye, Katie. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Going Out with Jake Cornell. If you could please go and rate and review us on whatever you're listening to this on, that would be really gorgeous for me in a huge way. So thank you. And now for some credits. Going Out with Jake Cornell is recorded in New York City and produced by Keith Beavers and Katie Brown. The music you're hearing is by Darby Seesai. The cover art you're probably looking at was photographed by M. Cooper and designed by Danielle Grinberg. And a special shout out to Vinepair co-founders Josh Mallon and Adam Teeter for making all of this possible. <laughs>